the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. Episode number three of this week, the NFL first round recap. Try to stay as much financial as possible here. Uh, no need to bounce around. Let's get right into it. Pretty fascinating top here. Uh, Scott Allen was doing the dirty work tracking these trades. Um, we uh, we will have a draft trade recap at some point in time here, uh, especially as it pertains to updating draft pools and things like that. Um, good run of quarterbacks to start as per usual. That's definitely the highlight here. Uh, outside of the fact that Houston was overly aggressive to find a top offensive player and a top defensive player within the top three of this draft. Philadelphia and the Georgia defense is a, a fascinating takeaway. And look, uh, I've had discussions all over the place, right, on various radio networks and, and yada yada, certainly on this pod and certainly in articles of team needs and where things might fall and just projections uh, from the outside looking in or from the inside looking out financially speaking, Philadelphia needed defense. So while a, a player like Bijan or a, you know an acquisition of, of a wide receiver again to really bolster that offense, still possible by the way, right? Austin Eckler still wants to be traded, was possible. This was just Howie Roseman being Howie Roseman. There's value, there's depth, he needs to replace three aging defensive bodies at least this offseason, this next offseason, I should say. He probably should have this offseason. He's going to run it back and uh, backfill it with some youth here. If Jalen Hurts can hold up, to me, the biggest takeaway right now is Philadelphia is as good as ever. As good as ever. I had a, an episode, I don't know, about a month ago with uh, our buddy Hembo from ESPN, diehard Philly fan. And I asked him flat out, you know, the Phillies just went to the World Series. The Eagles just went to the Super Bowl. Which roster do you feel most comfortable with now heading into 2023? And he was adamant that the Eagles are for real. Uh, and the Phillies may not be. And by the way, a month in, it certainly looks that way. I think Philadelphia took another step forward here. If you, uh, if you root for them, you've got to be pleased. If you don't root for them, you're probably thinking like I do, which is, man, that team is deep. Man, they're deep. And like I said, there's still a weapon out there that they could bring in, you know, because they have 2024 draft compensation to give up, right? We can now flash forward here a little bit. So let's not count out a DeAndre Hopkins and Austin Eckler. Maybe that's the wrong fit right now, but they continue to look all in. And this was not so much about the immediacy, right? That was last offseason and it was successful. This is more about the immediacy of replacing. They know exactly what's going to fall off this roster in 2024. And they now think they have not only talent, but cohesion. You know, there's something to three or four players from the same defensive system, from the same defensive team lining up together in the NFL. I don't know why we don't see more of it. We've seen teams try to go college to college, right? I remember the Bills a couple of years ago went on a huge Clemson run. It was a massive swing and miss pretty much across the board. Um, I know there's some of that out there. This seems to be the most glaring, literally going to line up next to each other example of it. And I don't know why it wouldn't work outside of the fact that, you know, one or two of these guys just doesn't have the effort to, to take it to the NFL level. But 
That to me is the biggest roster construction takeaway. Houston has a chance to be in this conversation, but we need to give it 18 months. You know, CJ Stroud's going to need a hell of a lot of time to figure this thing out with not the best set of weapons. Now they're going to address that today uh, and maybe even more so down the road. But I was kind of excited to be sitting here right now, 11 a.m. Eastern, 12 hours removed, and having a conversation about how the Texans did what everybody thought they shouldn't do, which is not draft a quarterback. They were going to go defense, offensive line, maybe a trade back to pull in some 24 draft picks, take another tackle, take an edge rusher, maybe sneak a top cornerback into this conversation, just, you know, because they have a multitude of needs, even though they've been trying to patch some things together for the last two, three seasons. Well, they got a GM or president of operations that might be on the way out. I don't know what the Nick Casario situation is. It seems ugly. I don't know if there's a problem and there's a top-down, you know, you know, uh, uh, violation coming here. If he flat out just doesn't want to be in this organization right now, if he doesn't, if he's not a D'Amico Ryan's guy, or if he's got a better offer. But it seems like I don't know why this story would break that he's on the on his way out possibly if it really wasn't at least a major possibility. So that's weird. That's a weird part of this whole Houston conversation because they've got a six-year contract coach who a lot of people love, myself included. I think that's the right fit if you believe that defensive coaches can still get it done right now as head coaches. For, for all intents, CJ Stroud is an above average prospect here. They do have a left tackle, which they've retained this past offseason. There's some talent in the trenches, not enough that that's got to be addressed. I would have loved to see an all trenches draft right now, all of it, both sides of the ball, light it up, add the depth, be boring, fall back into the picture, right? Don't be the topic of conversation like they are right now, but I get it. There's a lot of smart people out there that say, if you are in a position to draft the top quarterback at any point in time, you know, and I th- there's going to be people out there that think Seattle was incorrect in not taking a quarterback because of the draft capital that they had, the positions they were in. I, I understand the analytical side to that. Just keep drafting them. Just keep drafting them. Hey, the, the Patriots did, you know, not at five overall, but 30, 40, right? There was Castles, there was Garoppolo's, there were plenty of those. And at some point in time, the Chiefs are going to pick a third round quarterback. You know, it's coming. It's just the nature of how this works and how important that position has become. Um, so Houston taking Straub is analytically the correct move. But where the analytics fail for me, and it's something that we try to put a lot of numbers to, at least a little bit of value to, is you can take a guy. And you can throw a guy into a system. But that system has to be mature enough to be able to handle it. Because no one player, not even the quarterback, can elevate a poor, incomplete roster, especially certain position-wise, to 10 wins. You just can't do it. And I look around the depth chart of this Houston roster right now, and again, it's incomplete. There are, there's plenty of draft, and they have plenty of picks left. And plenty of offseason left, right? UDFAs that are, that are going to hit. We've seen more in those starting every year. 
So I, I'm not at all saying that this is a finished product that isn't good enough to win ball games with CJ Stroud. What I'm saying is, I don't think even after it's all said and done, this is going to be a good enough product. They've got a couple of running backs, so maybe that offsets some things. I mentioned the left tackle. They've patched together some old Patriots players right in the middle of that offensive line. I don't know. Experience, I guess. You know, I don't know how much hold up they're going to have. There's some really savvy veterans to now add Will Anderson to on that defensive line. Um, but, you know, Jerry Hughes is a one and done. Sheldon Rankins is going to be a one and done. But there's some ball players there. And there's some able-bodied off-ball linebackers and Christian Kirksey and Denzel Perry, Perryman. The secondary outside of Stingley, in my opinion, needed to be completely regutted. And if they focused all of day two and some of day three on the secondary, I will have a better takeaway immediately, Monday morning, than I do right now. Because I'll understand that having the number two pick and CJ Stroud sitting there was just too damn good of an opportunity to miss. That's their mindset. However, it's not going to stray us, keep us away from our eye on the prize, which is we need to backload this roster right now, immediately, because we're not going to win eight ball games. You know, we're probably a four win team next year. The problem comes and maybe it's not a problem, right? Maybe CJ Stroud shows enough in year one that there's not, a, there's not any doubt heading into 2024. But you know where I'm going with this. The problem becomes, what if they're one of the bottom three teams again, especially heading you know, into December? And Stroud's just Stroud, right? He's, he's not even what Justin Fields showed, showed us in year one, which there was plenty of doubt after that. Now we're looking ahead at a 2024 quarterback class that is exceptional. For, for everything that's being talked about right now, I think exceptional is the right word. And Houston could have waited. They could have waited. Now, I will say this. We haven't seen it yet. We've seen a one year away from this example of what I'm about to say, right? We've seen... Josh Rosen, play two years, Kyler Murray. If CJ Stroud doesn't show enough and Houston is still at the bottom, what's to stop them, right? What's to stop them from Drake May, from Caleb Williams, et cetera, et cetera? I, I'm not counting that out. So I'm giving them credit, even though I feel uncomfortable about that right now. Take the pick, take the quarterback. It's too damn important not to do it. But they got a lot of work to do. And they got a lot of work to do to get themselves out of the bottom because this is the other side of that story. And we've seen it so many times. Good, able-bodied, athletic quarterbacks that can put in situations where they absolutely cannot win. And not only can they not win, right? Not win ball games, they can't improve, they can't develop, they can't show even close to enough to make everybody around them, including their own team, Respect, believe, trust, have faith that they're going to get to a certain level at some point in time. They're suppressed out of the gate. I'm worried that's what CJ Stroud's walking into right now. Now, I trust the coaching, even though it's new. There's some savvy vets here that should be able to at least hold the fort down, right? And not make this thing look like, look like a disaster and at least 
you know, usher him in properly, especially on the offensive line. But there's a lot of what ifs sitting around here. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Now, is he going to play out of the gate? I don't know. Is this Davis Mills team? Is this Case Keenum's team? It's possible. It's possible. Maybe the deal is we're just going to sit this guy and we're going to take him because he was value. It was the right pick analytically and just, you know, common sense wise. And we're going to continue the process. Big draft picks, big draft picks, not ready to win yet. And uh, we're going to have him, we're going to say this out loud to him. All right. We want you to develop. We want you to, you know, add some muscle, learn your progressions, whatever it's going to be. Understand this offense inside and out. We still need to backfill this with more weapons for you where it's not there yet. Rather than throw you to the, through the fire, you know, let's get ourselves more established as a roster and, and all come together at, at a head and say, this is the time to go. Guess what? There's a 0% chance that's happening, right? Even if two of you out there agree with that sense, and I do, I, I still think that should be the way to go. Um, the rookie wage scale is just a monster now. It's a monster. Okay. Teams will not forfeit the right to try to win with a player earning $750,000, which is what the base salary is for every single draft pick this year. Um, that's it on Houston. Like I said, it's a TBD. It's a polarizing first round. And I thought it could have been even more polarizing had they not done the quarterback, but I'm not going to blame them. And again, they can make me feel a lot better about this Monday morning with really strong, successful backfill, especially defensively, young, young talent. We'll see where this goes. Wide receivers. They slipped, they slipped, they slipped, they slipped, and then they kind of went exactly where they thought they were going to go. Bang, 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 four in a row. Seattle Chargers, Ravens, Vikings. None of them garnered a $15 million contract. All right, Jackson, Smith, and Jibbick, 14.4 million. That's your high. Uh, and if you get down to Jordan Addison, who gets the sand next to Justin Jefferson for at least a year or two, 13.7 million. It's going to carry a $2.5 million cap at this year. So I, I, I get it all. I think maybe the Chargers could have gone tight end instead of Quentin Johnson, but to some degree, he is a tight end, right? He's a 6'3", 215-pound wide receiver out of TCU. We've seen plenty of him and how physical he can be. So maybe they decided, uh, let's just have the best of both worlds, even though I think that's the way the Bills identify Dalton Kincaid. And by the way, sure sounds like a bunch of teams did, right? Since he was ready to pounce, Dallas was ready to pick the guy before Buffalo moved up and Dallas was completely thrown off by it. So I thought that was a fascinating little run there at about 11 o'clock when the weapons really started to pop. Um, it all, they all make sense. Certainly Zay Flowers joining, you know, Beckham Jr. and Devin DuVernier and, and Bateman with OBJ, excuse me, with, uh, with newly minted Lamar Jackson I don't know how you ha how you hate that, you know. Uh, the the tape on Flowers, it looks a lot like <laughs> the other wide receivers that Baltimore has drafted. So maybe that's a bit of a problem, right? Are they too one sided right now? Have they been too one sided for years? And, and they certainly needed some variance. Uh, you would think a player like Mark Andrews could be the complement to these kind of wide receivers. He sort of slipped a little bit last year. There were some injury concerns, yada yada. Um, we'll see. I, I, I'm. I'm done poking holes in Baltimore because 
they did what they had to do. And we'll get to Lamar in a second here, but um, no complaints about where these wide receivers, receivers went. By the way, if they didn't go there, they were certainly going to go in the next three to five picks. There's no question about that. Um, Philadelphia, I mentioned all defense, all Georgia. Kansas City was interesting to me, and this is why. Uh, speaking of Lamar Jackson, if you remember back in 19, the Ravens had to jump in, jump back into the first to select Lamar with that last pick. And in in doing so, right, secured themselves a fifth-year option, which they used, which got us to the franchise tag, which they used, which eventually got them to the multi-year extension. So in trading up, they, they were able to work the system a little bit here. Now, I don't know that that was the best approach. I've talked about that quite a bit. But everybody got where, where they wanted to get to eventually. And it's because the fifth-year option was available. I was shocked, especially if somebody's going to take Will Levis 32, right? Tonight, or first pick tonight. Somebody's going to trade up to Pitt with Pittsburgh to take Will Levis, the quarterback out of Kentucky. Why wouldn't you? at least give every effort possible to get into that first round with Kansas City or even with New Orleans at, th- at 29, certainly with Philly at 30, it was making their second pick. Just to lock in that fifth-year option. I'm, I'm going to assume, and I'm not a big read-the-war-room coverage kind of guy, I'm going to assume that whoever's trying to move up, whether it's the Rams, it could very well be the Seahawks, I would put the Raiders and Tennessee Titans very much in this conversation as teams that would want to move up and select this quarterback now. I'm going to guess they tried like hell. And Philly said, no way. Nolan Smith was our guy forever ago. He's still here. We're doing it. And I think the Chiefs really wanted their defensive edge rusher as well, and they had a need for it. Um, Frank Clark is still out there, not re-signed. They did pick an edge rusher a couple years ago. The Chris Jones saga may be ending, right? He's on an expiring contract. They may not be able to afford to keep him. That's fair. And, and he's more of an interior player, but you, you understand what I'm saying. They're going to have to bolster their edge rush at some point in time here. I think they had a plan. That was their guy. And, and they weren't willing to acquire additional draft picks to get off of that player. So that surprised me. And uh, it was late. And, and I was glad to see the pick was in. I'll, I'll be honest. But... Um, just having the Lamar Jackson stuff in the back of my mind because of the contract, uh, I was really surprised that one of those teams at the bottom of the draft didn't get picked off for a trade-up just to, to grab a quarterback late and get the fifth-year option tagged in. It's, it really is, um, especially with a player who has questions, right? With slam dunks, like a burrow, right? It, it's useless, the fifth-year option becomes useless. It's a, it's a built-in moniker to say, all right, well, we can do nothing and I'm going to get 25 million plus 4 million. And, and the starting point on my extension now has to be 30, 32 million because if we do nothing, that's what I'm going to make on my rookie deal, four plus a fifth year option. So it's good in that regard. But the point of it is any great quarterback is getting a contract after year three. Lamar Jackson, notwithstanding. So if the quarterback has even a little bit of question, you want to have the ability to control the, the the narrative and control the player contractually for that extra year, especially for a team like the Raiders who have Jimmy Garoppolo now, but it really can be a one-year contract or even a, a two-year contract 
And then we'll see Seattle with Geno Smith, a one to two year contract, you know, a, a situation where this, this young quarterback isn't going to play in 2023 injury notwithstanding. And you want that extra year. You want that extra year to be able to say, all right, year two, year three, and year four didn't tell us enough. Let's just exercise the thing, right? The Jordan Love conversation to some degree. Let's just exercise this thing. It's a, it's a lot of coin to pay for one year, but it's the quarterback position, right? This isn't a running back. This isn't an off-ball linebacker. It's, it's the quarterback. So I was surprised by that. My educated guess is none of those teams would budge. They just wouldn't budge. It surprises me a little bit. I, I, I'm extra surprised with New Orleans um, because I think a defensive tackle was probably would have slipped to them if it was Tennessee, you know, at 41, for instance. But we'll uh, we'll have to see how that all plays out. I, I, especially if if Levis goes 32 or or Hidden Hooker goes 32 here, uh, why not do everything you can to get this thing into the first round? Other points, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about Bijan Robinson. He could have gone eighth. He could have gone 21st. He could have slipped down to Kansas City. Who knows, right? It's the running back. It's really awesome that running backs went eight and 12. I'm not sure they're the best picks in the world. Uh, you know, Atlanta had a pretty formidable running game last year with Tyler Algier and Cordero, Cordero Pat, Patterson. I, I guess what they're thinking is this guy is going to be McCaffrey. And it's fair. Right? I've heard a lot of smart people say that kind of stuff out loud. And if that's the case, well, then he's not Tyler Algier, right? He's not going to be that 200 brushes, 1,200 yards, mostly between the tackles kind of player. And in fact, they're going to protect them to the point of where they can use him out of the wildcat in a slot, mostly out of the backfield, and maybe complement the Drake Londons, the Kyle Pitts. And if that's the case, and all of these pieces can actually work in harmony together, Desmond Ritter better, better be able to manage an offense because he's going to have quite the setup right now. And they do have an offensive line, and they've paid for those offensive linemen this offseason as we went through. They need defense. So that's the only hole I'm going to poke in this. There was top, top defensive talent there. And in fact, Jalen Carter, right? The Georgia player went right after that. That would have been a hell of a player to put next to Grady Jarrett, even just for one season, right? If the Jarrett contract has to fall off next year. I think I understand what's happening. Um, that was going to be their unicorn pick. And from here out, it's going to be secondary, 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 off-ball linebacker. And then they may go and acquire some more edge rushers. There's going to be, there's going to be talent out there. All right? I, I mean, a player like Justin Houston can still fall on a roster for $2 million right now. They've already done that with Clayus Campbell. I think they're building a roster that's attractive enough for any of the street free agents to consider, certainly. But then we've got possibly a Chase Young, possibly a Montez Sweat, possibly an Ed Oliver in Buffalo, still kind of sitting out there with at least some kind of question marks. All right. There's not an extension coming. There's a bit of a backfill in Buffalo's case. I think they just want would, would love to see some value and maybe some 2024 draft assets uh, and get off of 11 million if possible. It's not likely they move Ed Oliver right now, but my point is the Falcons could be identifying this as we're going to take the take day two, take the three, 
for the secondary, which was really a mess. I mean, truly a mess. And they've got, you know, AJ Terrell and, and a couple of guys, but not nearly enough to be formidable. But this was their unicorn pick. This was sort of like the shiny toy. And I applaud them on this one because I think there were a lot of organizations, maybe even Philly, right, with that next pick, at least considering just how special and how much of an anomaly Bijan Robinson was, is going to be. And, and look, he's going to get a $22 million fully guaranteed contract. You can say that's great value. It is great value, you know, over a four-year plan with a five-fifth-year option. It's the fourth highest guarantee at signing of any active running back contract right now. Okay, it's Kamara, it's McCaffrey, it's Henry, and it's this guy. So that's where we are. I mean, we've talked about it ad nauseum here, but that's where we are with running back contracts. So it is, it's a lot to take a top 10. It's a lot. And we had a top, an eight and a 12 this year. Gibbs going to the Lions, which I'm going to have to see that one. But I get it. I really do get it. Um, this was going to be the one offensive pick, in my opinion. If they go chalk defense the rest of the way, I wouldn't be surprised one bit. Not one bit. That's basically how they played out their free agency. So I get it. I get this one. That's a, uh, that is a way to really unlock Desmond Ritter this year. It's very important that they do so. Not unlike what A.J. Brown represented the Jalen Hurts last year for a lot of, a lot of degrees. I, uh, I applaud this move quite a bit. You want to make sure Kyle Pitts is Kyle Pitts. You have an offensive line that can protect all of these young weapons, including the quarterback. And you need to be able to see what Desmond Ritter can really do. So give him the absolute best opportunity to do that. It's, a, it's such a different conversation from the one we had about Houston, right? CJ Stroud is going to have to really work his ass off to show that he can do this thing. Whereas Desmond Ritter might just be able to game manage some things. And it, it might come down to scheme much more than it is raw talent. That's a really nice situation for a kid to start his career. And so I applaud this one. As long as the Falcons backload this thing with secondary and off-ball linebackers and all those things that, that a, uh, an up-and-coming team has to, has to, has to do at some point in time before they decide to win ballgames. Fun, though. Really fun landing spot. All right, a couple of quick lists here, and then we'll flip the Lamar Jackson. Positionally speaking, seven edge rushers, five offensive tackles, four wide receivers in a row, four defensive tackles, and four cornerbacks. We mentioned three running backs, or excuse me, three quarterbacks, two running backs. We had just Dalton Kincaid as the only tight end, and we had Jack Campbell as the only off-ball linebacker going to Detroit, which seems pretty perfect. That was a need, but was it a reach? We'll never know. We'll never know. Because uh, I don't know that Detroit's going to be able to muster enough to get back to where they were last year. So we'll have to wait and see on that one for a while. Uh, athletes first, first, once again, dominated this first round. Eight first round picks. CAA was second with six. Uh, Clutch, Nicole Lynn, the Jalen Hurts agent, bagged two of these players, including number three overall, Will Anderson, who's off to Houston. Two running backs, one at $22 million, one at almost $18 million fully guaranteed. The quarterback contract should be 38 for Bryce Young, 36 for C.J. Stroud, and 34 for Anthony Richardson, who goes to the Colts on what could be a project or could be the steal of the draft. 
That's, uh, that's all I have to say, because I know nothing more. We, none of us know anything more. If this kid can develop and the athletic skills can turn into, you know, competent, smart, intelligent football, I mean, he's going to be a superstar. <laughs> I mean, there's, that's no, there's no way, way to look at that. Uh, I like the coaching staff in Indy. I like some of the weapons. They have a running back. They have a couple of offensive linemen. It's, it's not the worst situation for a project quarterback to be dropped into. And by the way, Gardner Minshew might get the week one start. So it's okay. I, I think that was an okay pick. It's for some reason it wasn't Will Levis. We'll find out more on that soon, I'm sure. But this is a boomer bust, which has really good chance to be a boom. Really good chance. The Lions now have three second round picks. We've got four teams with two Chicago, Green Bay, Pittsburgh, and Seattle. There are two teams with three thirds, the Cardinals and the 49ers and five more teams with two. So that's that, that screams plenty of trades. All right. Whenever you've got teams with that kind of ammo in the top 100, it screams trading up four spots for the guy we want. So I think Friday is going to be chaos. So uh, in advance, Scott, I'm sorry for the work you're going to have to do mapping these things, but God bless you. Uh, we have a new view. Uh, for those of you that follow spotrate.com slash draft, which is our official draft tracker, it's got the projected contracts and pick-by-pick breakdown and all the good stuff you'd want on a draft tracker. If you flip over to the matrix portion of this draft tracker, it's brand new. We just added it. It's a new tab. It shows the pick-by-pick uh, amount. It shows the live draft pool. It shows the live top 51 draft pool. Uh, which for those who don't know, all off season, only the top 51 salary cap hits account for each team. So for a sixth round pick that comes in, you know, on a minimum salary and a hundred thousand dollars signing bonus, only the prorated version of that signing bonus. So 20,000, you know, 25,000 hits the top 51. Other than that, it's just your 51 top cap hits and that's it. So a team like Houston, that has 12, 13 picks, two, four, six, seven, 10, still 12, even after the trades, it's going to cost, it's going to take 20, 21 million in change of total salary cap if they sign all of those players and keep them in the season, right? That's the total in-season cap amount. But for the off-season, they can sign all 12 of those picks and it only takes them 15 million of cap. So that's the difference. For a lot of teams, it's big, big, big difference. Uh, if many of their draft picks are later on. Now, you got a bunch of first-round picks. Your top 51 draft pool is going to be significantly higher. Uh, but the point is this. Our new our new matrix view on the draft tracker breaks down these pools and a pick-by-pick look for every single team in the league all in one place. So uh, pretty cool to have that live now along with the pick-by-pick look on the standard draft tracker. I'll be uh, cranking these out for day two, but day three. As much analysis as I can do, I won't be doing the visual that I do with the first 32 picks um, as things really start to pick up speed. And I just want to keep up and make sure I have correct data and uh, quick analysis as we go along here. But certainly we'll get back here Sunday, Monday with a full recap. Um, I'll be in UDFA hell at that point in time as well. Um, again, we're going to put in about 900 players here over the next 72 hours. So bear with us. If, uh, I, have, if, if I missed a show or if I'm late on a show or if I'm just kind of you know, if I, t- if I step away from football and bring in Keith Smith and just want to talk basketball playoffs or basketball offseason because I got to get away from the NFL, it's a really arduous data input time for us. It's also super fun because 
this roster construction stuff is what I geek out on with all the sports. And uh, whenever you get some kind of variances like we had with Houston yesterday, uh, that is really fun stuff for me. So I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be doing this, but um, it's a data put data input hell for the next few hours. And uh, I will analyze things as quickly and as uh, carefully as I can, certainly with the top positions, certainly with the top teams. Um, but also, you know, some of these teams that are up and coming, the Jaguars, the Falcons, the Carolina Panthers, the Bears, what are they going to do now with their a bunch of mid-round picks? Can they get themselves and Justin Fields to that next level? Especially now with Aaron Rodgers out of the equation. So plenty to talk about, lots of storylines. Really fun first round. Let's talk Lamar Jackson just for a few minutes. Why? Because I don't know, <laughs> right? Uh, here's another podcast where I'm going to break down a contract I don't have the contract details for. All I'm going to say to you is this. Uh, Five for 260, perfect. Perfect. Seriously perfect in that regard. Don't go eight. I would have liked to see four, but you're ripping up a franchise tag and you're starting with five fresh years, right? So this isn't franchise tag plus five. It's just five, which means he gets through age 30, maybe, because the 185 guarantee, which could only be about 180, 179, my guess is there's some injury only built into this for obvious reasons. Um, so my guess is, and, and, you know, it, it's going to look a lot like Jalen hurts, but it's going to be a year less because this is not an extension. This is a rip up and start over. And because this is two years career wise after Jalen hurts, right? Jalen hurts finishing year three, Lamar Jackson just finished year five. Now they're similar in age because Lamar was bonkers young coming in, but get in, get out. Let's say it's four for one 60 and change. Let's say it's right around 40 million on an adjusted average salary based on the guarantee structure. And then start over at age 29. Ravens have to move on at age 30, whatever it's going to be. That's perfect for both sides of this. It's perfect. Um, we haven't seen the guarantee at signing. Now, there's no agency to put it out there. Lamar hasn't done it. Nobody's tipping this off to you know the rap sheets of the world. That scares me a little bit, but I'll say this out loud. Um, they made him the highest average, and he immediately posted a video talking about it. That was obviously a big deal to him. It's fine because he's going to make, you know, like I said, 40 to 42 million per year based on these guarantees. The total guarantee of 185 is a good number. We got to see how real it is, but it's a really good number. If Lamar had to give up, the guarantee at signing to some degree because of his injury history, because of this battle, right? Because he's not year three, he's year five. You know, there were some certain, certainly some red flags. If they had to give on that, it's not going to be the end of the world as long as this follows the Mahomes and Jalen Hurts and Kyler Murray structure, which means it's not going to be stamped guaranteed at signing. Right? It's not going to be $120 million guaranteed at signing or even $111, which would surpass Jalen Hurts. It's going to be $100. But if you're on the roster next March, it gets to $115. And if you're on the you know, roster March 2025, it gets to $130. And eventually we'll get to our $185. As long as it's a year early with the vest and he doesn't have to be there 
to get that year's compensation, right? Then he wins. Then he's done his job. But if it's rolling guarantees, which is year of, I got if I'm on the roster in March, that upcoming season guarantees six months early. That's traditional. That's old school. Quarterbacks can't be doing that anymore. Okay. If you're not going to guarantee it signing for escrow purposes, for whatever purposes, it's got to be early vesting guarantees. Has to be. So that's the thing I'm really worried about right now. I'm I'm preparing myself for a low guarantee at signing number just because it hasn't been put out there. And 24 hours later, if we don't have that number, it's generally not a great sign. And I'm I'm okay. I'm not crushing it for her. I'm not going to crush it. Just make sure that every March, something in next year's salary locks in. That gives you enough stability, at least for injury protection, you know? Most of the 185, if not all of it, is going to be injury guaranteed at signing. So, you know, if this guy has a nasty knee injury and unfortunately his career has to come, you know, get cut short, RG3 type stuff, he should be on the hook for most of that money, which is a good deal, obviously. That's why the 185 is a really, really great starting point. It's covered him in that regard, but it might have meant he had to concess up front, whether that's cash flow, whether that's guaranteed signing. So the devil is always in the details, but specifically with this one. That's what I'm looking for, the early vesting. We'll have it soon, and then we'll break it all down on here. Okay, again, my thanks to Scott for the great work on, for, on round one, but we are only 31 picks in. So uh, there's still 220-some to go, 230-some to go, and then uh, 900 UDFAs, and uh, we'll get some sleep and wake up Monday morning and try to digest all this stuff. But uh, we will be back soon. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.